may be seated. like to extend another good morning to you as you've had one already, maybe even two. Um, but uh, I'm Greg and I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Covenant Church and uh, just like to share the scripture with you this morning. Isn't it, isn't it fun? I, I just so love to worship together. You know, I come in here every once in a while on a weekday and I, I play my guitar and I practice up on songs and it's, it's a joy for me to do that, but um, boy, when we get to, to do it together, and I get to hear your voices singing the other, the other parts, and what a blessing. Thank you, Sharon and choir and, and whole congregation. What a, what a blessing to be together to sing. We're going to be um, continuing on in our series in Philippians, the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 3 today, the beginning of chapter 3 anyway, and uh, I just want to share with you, we're, we're still in a, a series where we're doing... Um, a mark it up series, so you have a chance to pull out your own Bibles. Um, I'd prefer that you don't mark up the pew Bibles, but um, pull out your Bible and you can you can make some marks in there. Um, sometimes some of us are that the Bible I can't, I can't make a mark in my Bible. I, mine's filled with notes and different things that I want to remember and think about when I pray and those sorts of things when I go through there. So I would encourage you to to make an opportunity to, to write in your Bibles as you as you go through here um, and and highlight things that are for the most part, to you today, that stand out. You can, you can look for those things. I'm going to ask you to look at one thing in the beginning of this and, uh, and uh, circle or um, underline, either way you'd like, the word joy or rejoice every time you see it in there because that's kind of part of the running theme that we're looking at as we go through the book of Philippians, the encouragement Paul gives to the, the church at Philippi and, uh, and also um, the joy that he receives and says that he wants to extend out. So uh, those are the things that I'm going to ask you to underline, underline wherever else you would like also. Um, that, is, uh, that is up to you today. So I'm going to read from um, the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, and it's a little bit lengthy, so, so bear with me, but it's great stuff. It's so good. So, uh, so let's get into what Paul has to say, and I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever, I gain, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ Jesus. The righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, 
to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining on toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on that point you think differently, that too will God, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. The Word of God. Um, so here I, I want to... Uh, to recap kind of where we've come a little bit, and then, uh, and then we'll move on from there. But uh, Paul, the writer of the book of Philippians, um, some of you know uh, a little bit about his conversion, what happened to him. Who was he known before he was Paul? Saul, correct? Um, and he was a, he was a persecutor, persecutor of Christians. And in fact, on the way for his conversion, on the way to persecute Christians, Jesus confronts Saul and, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, Lord, who is it? I, and he says, it's the Jesus, that you, it's Jesus of Nazareth who you persecute. And, uh, and so there's, we have many other things. The voice that comes knocks Paul off of his horse, and, uh, and then he's blinded for three days. And he, he is converted in that moment from Judaism to Christianity. And, uh, and his life is turned upside down, turned around from arresting Christians and even in some cases killing them. Saul turns his life to spreading the gospel in total opposition to what he was doing as a Pharisee. And also we need to remember in this, in, in, so that's the kind of the history of Paul there. And now he's, now he's sharing with the churches, now he's spreading the gospel and we find in this book especially that he loves the church. He loves the people. He loves them so much. He's encouraging them and, and safeguarding them and, and, and talking about joy. He wants to make sure that they know that he, he loves them um, and, and that, of course, that God loves them and is directing them. Um, I'm going to pray for just a minute to ask us to be guided by God, whatever he would lead, if you'd pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you invite us to partake with you, to, uh, to enjoy this life with you, that, Lord, you do not leave us once we become Christians. Once we know you, Father, then you're in us and you direct us. And, God, I pray for that today, that we would have your peace and that we would see something of you that we haven't seen before, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So will you, will you humor me or, or bear with me for just a minute? I want, I want to try something. So I, I, I tend to do this when, the, when I begin my messages, but I want you to say something that, uh, that is in my heart. How's that? that uh, so <clears throat> I want you to say hallelujah or praise the Lord or I rejoice in the Lord. Um, any one of those that you'd like, all three of those if you'd like, I want you to say three of them. So if you choose one, say it all three times. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, or um, I rejoice in the Lord, and we're going to do it all together. It's gonna, we're going to make a little bit of noise. Some of you are thinking, I'm not going to do this. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> just try it. Just try it and see what happens, okay? I just, I just want to see. Okay, let's say uh, hallelujah or praise the Lord or I rejoice in the Lord. Ready? And go. 
Hallelujah! I rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah! I'm looking around. It's hard not to do that and smile, right? There's a little bit of joy that comes in at us just from saying hallelujah, even though it was probably the awkwardness that set up the, the, the smiles on our faces. Oh, this is funny. But, um, but it's, 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 it's hard not to have joy when we say those things. And, and I look at this writing that Paul says, this first piece, further, my brothers and sisters, hallelujah, it is no trouble for me to write these things to you again. And it is, a, it is a safeguard for you. Um, I was reading some different things and, uh, that talked about this, and they said you could really replace praise the Lord or uh, you could, excuse me, you could replace rejoice in the Lord with praise the Lord or hallelujah because he's just saying, I'm praising the Lord here, um, and, and you're invited to do it with me. And he goes on to explain some things in that. Um, there are two thoughts in this, in this first verse that I want to hit on, and the first one is that rejoicing peace. Um, the rejoicing in the Lord, the hallelujah, or the, the praise the Lord idea. In Paul's writing, he tends to uh, get really excited. I get excited when I get up and preach sometimes, but he, he would get excited in his writings. And, and you can see that in how he writes, because he would say, and praise the Lord, and, and this, and this, and, and then we do this, and, and this, and he'd add it all together. And you can just see it in his writing that it's not just that he's He's getting in and he's got to write down all the notes and make sure that we, we hit everything. I think he gets excited genuinely in his, in his scripture writing or in the letters that he wrote to these people. And, uh, and, and here, this one is, furthermore, my brothers and sisters, hallelujah! I mean, it's just right there. He's just excited. It is no trouble for me to, uh, to say these things to you again. And so I want to, I was reading some things on uh, Christian joy and talking about joy. And actually, this is the antithesis of that at this, at this first part that I'm going to share with you. But um, William Barclay writes in a, in a commentary of his, it often happens to people that we can get, that we can get through the greatest trials and sorrows of life, but we're undone by the, the things that seem almost minor inconveniences. So I thought about that, and I thought, the first thing I thought was, oh, who are you? I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then I thought more and more deeply about it. And, and the truth is, the great sorrows of life, the death of a loved one, or a chronic health problem, or a disease that, that's in our lives, those, those are the, the big ones, right? The great sorrows that come. Minor inconveniences, losing something, timeliness, when we're late for stuff, or somebody's late, you know, that kind of thing, um, an unresolved argument. And there, are, there are other things that, that are minor inconveniences in our lives that, that come up, but um, those are the ones that I just kind of thought of quickly that were broad-based. And I think the difference in the two of those, the great sorrows and the minor inconveniences, is in the great sorrows, we tend to bring those things before the Lord regularly. We tend to have lots of people that surround us in those things, especially in the Christian community. And so it's how much easier is it to get through those things when we have the help of God and others around us. The minor inconveniences, they just make us angry on the spot and we stew in our anger and our bitterness. And, and it feels like we can't get rid of those because we, 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 don't, uh, we don't invite God into those. And I know it seems maybe minuscule for God to be a part of that, but I think even, even praying for parking spaces when you go to the mall, especially at Christmas time, 
You know, I went up to, we went up to Griffith Park with the high school students one year, Griffith Park in, in, um, in Los Angeles, and there were no, I mean, we, there, was, there were people parked all the way down this road and the parking spaces, the parking lot was totally full. We prayed, <clears throat> and this is how I know it's not a fluke. We prayed the first year, and we got a prime parking spot for our 15-passenger van that was incredibly easy to park in. Whoop, we're right there. And we did it another year. Two years after that, the same thing happened. And, you know, I just, I think God cares about something simple like that. I know it's something simple, but asking God into everything. Don't allow the minor inconveniences in our lives to not have support and not ask God into those things that we don't become bitter. Um, Joy is a huge part of the Christian life. I don't think that means that we're ridiculously jolly all the time. Running around, you know, happy smiles on our faces all the time. But <clears throat> I do think at the same time, it's, it's the opposite side of that. We're not glum or the, the Eeyore will never make it. Not that it matters. You know, all these, all these things that they would say, we're not going to be that side of it either. There has to be somewhere in between where we have, we have joy and it, and, it's, and it comes from something different. We, we talked about this um, just a minute ago, but Jesus is the source of our joy. Christian joy is the knowledge of where we're going and the knowledge of who walks beside us in everything we do, everywhere we go. That's where the Christian joy comes from. Jesus is our source of joy, and he's with us. The second thought, I said there was two pieces to this that I wanted to hit on, but the second thought that Paul puts in here is that um, it is no problem for me to tell you these things again. It's a, it's, and it's a safeguard for you. It's no problem for me. And in fact, it sounds like it might even bring him a little joy. Scholars suggest that this is most likely one of several letters that were, were written to the church at Philippi, and, uh, and, and Paul probably has given these warnings before. I mean, obviously, at some point, um, he's, he's talked to them along these lines before, and the, the warnings are coming up that he's going to share. Um, I need to receive a lesson here. I thought about this one and thought, you know, it's no trouble. He says, it's no trouble for me to write these things to you again. I don't like writing things the first time. And he says, it's no trouble. In fact, it kind of brings me some joy. And I thought about, I need to learn a lesson. When I'm disciplining my children or when I'm talking to them and, and sharing something with them, I don't necessarily want to say it again. I don't want to say it a second time. I don't, I, you know, I'm not there. I don't find a joy in that most of the time. And I thought, what would it look like? How would it look differently if I, you know, is, it's the same thing with, with the, our spouses when we tell them something again or our coworkers when we tell them something again. Wherever it is that we, we have to do that, what would it look like if we loved to tell those people as a safeguard? Now, I know every situation isn't going to be, um, I love to tell you this again and again and again and again. I realize that. I get that. But my point is, I need to at least look at the lesson here and where Paul is coming from. He's saying it's a safeguard to you, and I bring, it brings me joy. It's okay. So here he goes on um, to share the warnings in verse, uh, verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who are served, excuse me, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is using the very words of the Jewish people to make his point here, and I'll explain how that works. Um, dogs, for instance, 
He's using the word dogs, uh, and he's using that, this word back on the Jewish people. And, uh, and I'll explain that in just a second as well. But um, the dogs that he's talking about are not the loyal companions that are our lap dogs, our little chihuahua, and um, you know the things that we have here in the United States. We're talking about, I've been to Mexico um, in some pretty tough areas where uh, the dogs are, are as tough as the people, I'll tell you, um, or tougher. You know, they're, they're, they're vicious, uh, the dogs that are there, <clears throat> um, they, they're, they're garbage eaters. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy how, um, how they're into this, excuse me, how they're, they're mangy and, and the, just this, these gross kind of grotesque animals um, in some places. And this is, what, this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about that. And the Jews would call other nations that, any, just about any other nation, and not, probably not every Jew, but the Jewish people, kind of, they would say, oh, that nation is dogs or full of dogs, or those kinds of things. And, uh, and, so, and this is the kind of dog that they were talking about. You know, they didn't want to be that. Anybody who was a Gentile was kind of outside the, the, the Jewish faith was a, was a dog, or they, they would call them that sometimes. And so Paul uses this word and comes back and brings it back to them because he's kind of talking about this group of people called the Judaizers, and I'll explain that. They were, they were these people who were evildoers. They were trying to undo the work of the gospel that Paul had set up and, and some others had set up. And, uh, and again, they were called the Judaizers, and they would attempt to make everybody fall under Jewish laws, all the Jewish laws and customs. So, so it didn't matter what those were, even though Jesus came to, uh, came to fulfill the law and, and modify those things, um, the Judaizers' attempt was to make everybody fall under Jewish law. And one specific piece to that it comes into is the mutilators of the flesh. The Judaizers were forcing people to be circumcised to fall under Jewish law. Um, Paul is saying here that uh, when he says that they were the, be aware of these mutilators of the flesh... He's saying um, circumcision of the flesh is simply mutilation of the flesh if that's all it is, if that's all it means. And, uh, and so the real circumcision is that of the heart. Okay, I'm going to stop saying circumcision so you can, uh, you can rest assured. We'll, we'll move, move from there. <clears throat> uh, but it's to be set apart for God's purpose. That is what it means to be sanctified or circumcised in the heart, is to be set, af- set apart for God's purpose. And that means, as, as he shared in the scripture, uh, we serve by his spirit. Um, in his spirit, it's in God's power that we are able to do these things at all. Um, we boast in what? We boast in Jesus Christ. Not in my, I mean, in the things that he's doing in my life and around me, but not, I don't boast in myself anymore. And he's going to go on to explain why he shares that as well. Um, Those who are set apart also, they know that we can't do this life on our own power. We know that we can't do good things apart from God, apart from his power. We can't spread the gospel on our own power. It just doesn't work. Philippians 2, chapter, or verse 13, excuse me, says, For God, it is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who does these things in us. Again, the idea is that we're set apart for God's purposes. It's God's work in us that makes us set apart. 
I want to pause for just a moment and allow you to think about your life and what it looks like for you to be set apart for God. It's going to be different for each one of us, so I want to think about for you, what does it mean to be set apart for God? Paul moves from this place of setting us up for what's to come into his, his pedigree of, of uh, kind of who he is. He's the who, who, this is the who's who of, of the Hebrews. And he says, um, I thought myself, uh, excuse me, though I, sorry, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, that's being confidence in the flesh, if someone thinks they have reasons to put their confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. And then verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. To be circumcised on the eighth day was the custom of the Jewish people, of the people of Israel. And he was, he's saying, I was born into this family. I wasn't grafted in at a later date. My family didn't come into it later. Uh, I was born into it. I am a Jew. And, uh, or I'm of the Jewish people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he goes on to say is the next one. Um, his namesake was more than likely, the, the name that he had before, Paul, uh, was Saul. And his namesake more than likely came from the first king of Israel, who was Saul. And, uh, and most of the, the kings of the first kings especially came from the tribe of Benjamin. And so there's, he's, he's saying, I'm kingly. Um, they're, they're, at least that's in my history. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Many of the Jews had lost the traditions and the language of the Hebrew people, but Paul still knew them. Paul still, uh, Paul still would speak in Hebrew and, and write down the language, and that was the big one. That was especially knowing the language of Hebrew um, for him. And so and then he says, in regard to the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees, as we know, were the, were the law keepers, they, were, they kept the law themselves, and they made sure that everybody else kept the law, towed the line, they were, all the things that they were supposed to do. And so he's saying, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was faultless with the law. He goes on, as for zeal, persecuting the church, whatever Paul did, he did it with all his heart. He went after it. He went and, and persecuted the church with all his heart because that's what he, he thought he was supposed to do until, of course, he meets Jesus. Um, as for righteousness based on the law, he continues in verse 6, no one could find fault in Paul, oh, excuse me, as, as he was faultless, no one could find fault in Paul based on the law. He was faultless, with, he never broke broken the laws, he was, he, and, and nobody could blame him of one of those things, no one could accuse him that he had broken the law. So here's, here's this long pedigree that he, he explains I was this, I was that, I, I've got this in my blood, and all these things that he shares. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Sometimes in our lives, we get to a place where all those things that we might give up or feel like we've given up, especially for, for Paul here, he's given up a lot as we went through that, all, all that list, that might start to weigh on you and you think, oh man, if I, just, I could just go back. The Israelites did that. If we just go back to slavery, at least it was 
three square meals a day, and yeah, we had to work hard, but but at least we had you know some of the comforts of life, and and uh, and and Paul's saying here, I've given it all up, and sometimes that can weigh on us. Um, I want to share just briefly about what it is to uh, to meet Jesus. So we might think that Paul made this on a snap decision. And here's, here's Paul, kind of, um, he meets Jesus in this place. And, uh, and then, yeah, he becomes a Christian really quickly. But to meet Jesus, to have him in your heart, to start a real relationship with him, takes a moment. Absolutely truth. Snap of the fingers, to meet Jesus, it can happen. And it does happen to people all the time. That's true. But also true, to truly know him takes our lifetime. Whatever, whenever we start, it takes our lifetime. And that is the time of our life, the time that we, we have left. It takes all of that. We can never know all of God. There's always something more to know about him. If we knew everything, we would be him, right? I mean, we could know, we, we could be him. And that's, he's always bigger than us. Our minds can't, just can't conceive everything about God. And so he, all, of our, all of our lifetime and our life breadth our, our, our sphere of influence. Um, he wants all of that as well. He wants to know that he's in the center of our sphere of influence and, and everything that we do. Um, he wants to be in the center of those things. Um, I, I, in regard to the breadth of life, um, how he wants all of our life, I think of a, a song that I heard from a, a kind of a folky band a while back, and it's, um, the song was titled, I Smoke My Cigarettes on Monday. And the whole idea of the song was that they smoke their cigarettes on Mondays because they don't, they don't have to worry about anything from Monday through Saturday. And then Sunday, they come, they come into the church and they're forgiven from everything and then they can go back to what they want to do the rest of the week. That's not how it works. That's not... I, 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 I think of a marriage that way. Think of a marriage that way. We, yeah, you can have one day a week and the rest we can kind of do whatever we want, you know? with anybody else we want. That doesn't work. That doesn't work for you. That doesn't work for me. That's not what we want. And that's not what God wants. He doesn't just want our Sundays. And I think that gets preached a lot, but it is absolutely truth that he doesn't just want our Sundays. He wants our whole week. He wants our whole life. And, uh, <clears throat> and Paul is explaining that. Now, whatever was my life, I consider loss. For, gain, for the gain of Christ. He continues on to kind of reiterate this in verse 8, and he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul is explaining here, or suggesting here, that this wasn't a knee-jerk reaction that has faded over time for him. Have you ever made an I'll always or I'll never statement and realize you were wrong or it faded over time? Paul's commitment and zeal for Christ did not fade over time. In fact, it got stronger and built and built and built. He was so excited to share anything in any time he could about Jesus. And in fact, the things that he used to hang his hat on, the things that he used to be say, I am or this is me, he now says our garbage, our refuge, ref, refuse, excuse me. <laughs> i got to read my word right. <clears throat> they are, they're things 
he considers them loss. It's gone. Also here, Paul is uh, saying something about being on the wrong side. He's kind of explaining, I was on the wrong side, and he didn't even know it. Until Jesus came up, he didn't even know that he was on the wrong side. Paul was not just on the wrong side, wrong team. He was playing the wrong game. He was chasing down a quarterback with a baseball bat. And it, that's not, what it, that's not the, how it works. Um, I know, uh, you know, all of these things that are in Paul's pedigree, the Jews considered this was the way to earning salvation. He was, he was a Jew of Jews. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, perfect in the law. All these things. These were the way that the Jews considered the way to earn salvation. It was the wrong game. It's not even, it doesn't work. And I know that a game is a poor analogy for our faith. I'm not trying to trivialize our faith in any way because it's not a game. It's, a, it's life and death with Christ, and I absolutely believe that. Um, but it helps us to maybe understand he wasn't even playing the right game. He had to switch not only teams, but games as well. Uh, sometimes we can be so entrenched in something that we don't even realize it's all for naught. Or we can be playing the wrong game and re- not realize until we have an encounter with the living God. He's the one who turns us around. And I think that can happen even inside our lives in Christianity. I don't think that has to happen the first time we meet Christ. It can happen again that Christ can help turn our life around or change our life and, and modify our life. Sometimes, uh, sorry, Paul is explaining that he now is on God's team. And he's playing the right game. And that is not by his own power. It is absolutely by God's power. Verse 9, 10, and 11 say, um, and he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is found through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and to somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. It's all in God's power. The righteousness that he had in the law didn't save, and he knew that. God's power is what saves. And he goes on to say, I want to know that power. I want to know, not simply know of Jesus, know of him, but to know him. And what does that mean? You know, I I, I took a minute to think about that um, as I was preparing this. Um, And Abraham Lincoln came to mind for me, first and foremost. Abraham Lincoln. We we know of him, right? All of us know of him. Uh, His famous speech, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation that was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are, crea- all men are created equal, right? It's, it's there, right? And, and most of you probably knew that first line. Maybe you could go on. Maybe some of you know the whole thing, the Gettysburg Address. Um, we know pieces of that. So we know bits of that, and we also know, um, we also know how he died. We know stories about President Lincoln's life. But there are some who study President Lincoln, and they even reenact parts of his life. They do things that he did. All of us know of him, 
But these people that study his life, they really know him. They know who he is and what, or who he was. But Jesus is even beyond that. He's beyond any other historical figure because he, in the form of the Holy Spirit, can be in us. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can know God better than we know any other human. And God never changes. The beauty of this is we know him, and unlike other humans that are fallible and inconsistent, once you learn a truth about God, it doesn't change because he is always the same if that truth is truly about God. Be sure to get to know Jesus if you don't yet. Be sure that you do know him and not just of him. Because knowing some verses in the Bible, having them memorized, does not necessarily mean that you know Jesus. Just because you know that Je- how Jesus died, it doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Just because you know some of the stories of his life, doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Invite him in, and he'll take over if you allow him to. When we, when we do what he says, and we invite him in, that's how we know him. Paul goes on to explain some of those pieces of what he wants to do in knowing Jesus. And the first one is um, to know the power of the resurrection. Jesus made the way open to us. We can know God personally now because Jesus made the way open to us. We can have him in our hearts. How? Well, just invite him in. Just invite him to be there. He opened the way to us to heaven also in the life after this one. He tore the veil. And I want to explain what that means because we hear that, especially around Easter time, we hear that a lot. He tore the veil. We sing it in songs and it's, it's absolutely scriptural. Jesus... Um, Jesus, when he was on the cross, uh, there was a, a great earthquake, and the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And I'll explain that. The Holy of Holies was inside the temple, and it was separated by a, a great curtain, a big, huge curtain, or they called it the veil. And, and in the Holy of Holies was a place that only certain people could go at only certain times of the year, and, uh, and it, was, it was dangerous to go in there any other time. And so uh, here's... Here's the Holy of Holies that only certain people could go into to meet with God. It was the place where God was, kind of that was their the idea. And, and this curtain rips from top to bottom when Jesus is crucified means that we have access directly to the Father through Jesus Christ. We can go directly to God now. He tore the veil. He made a way for us. That's the power of the resurrection. The participation in his suffering What does it mean to suffer with Jesus? Why would Paul want to participate in his suffering? It wasn't all beautiful for Jesus. In fact, most of it was really tough, the things that he went through. And Paul says, I want to count it an honor to suffer with Jesus. I want to participate with Jesus in his suffering. And I I just pulled out three that I think um, are are ways that we can uh, think about that might come our way. Um, And persecution, poverty, and people are the ones that I want to share goes along with the uh, patience theme today, huh? But the p- 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 um, <coughs> excuse me. Perse- persecution m- means that the world doesn't agree with Jesus. There are a lot of things out there that he said that just don't make sense to the world. It's foolishness, the world thinks. The first shall be last. Huh? How does that make sense? Take up your cross 
daily. Oh, that's work. I don't know, I don't know about that. Love everyone. That's a kicker. That might, that's tough. That's hard. These are things, there's, there's persecution that comes because the world doesn't believe those things. And we do. When we suffer persecution for Jesus, count it an honor that you are suffering with Jesus. We suffer through things with Jesus. Uh, the second one I said was poverty. And uh, Jesus said himself, I don't even have a place to lay my head down. I'm broke. But I own the cattle on all, a thousand hills, right? That's, that's also scripture. But the point is here that um, Jesus, Jesus went through poverty while he was here. And it's, that's not to say that we, have to have, that we have to live in poverty to have what God wants us to have, but it is to be aware that wealth can disrupt or even destroy that first love. Um, even suffering with people, and that was the third one that I suggested, uh, we need to bear with people through what they're going through. Pray with people. Work through things with people. Um, we're, we're bearing through all the things that we're going through together. There's persecution that's going to, excuse me, there's a suffering that's going to come in this world. And we need to know that Jesus walks through it with us and that we can count it an honor to suffer with Jesus. So knowing the power of the resurrection is one piece to this, knowing Christ, um, the participation in his suffering, and then the last one is becoming like him in his death, and I will somehow attain the resurrection of the dead. Um, Jesus gave up everything to come to earth. He emptied himself and became a man. Um, and he was fully human and fully God. And that I don't, I don't know how to explain that to you, but I know that's what Scripture tells us. Also, um, we look at Paul's pedigree, and he emptied himself. He said, you know what? All that stuff is behind me now. I, I have to be done with all that stuff that was there, all those things that I hung my hat on before. And it means that we, we, we have death to self and I want to just explain that a little bit deeper, that our desires could be God's desires first. That what we want is what God wants. Martin Luther uh, has a famous quote that some of you may have heard before, and it's, it's, love God and do what you want. If you love God and you do what you want, then you're doing what God wants. If we're obeying God, if we're truly loving God, then we're going to do what he wants. And that's what I would want. And that's where... Um, that's where the death to self comes in, and somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Um, to know Christ was raised from the grave, and there is confidence to know that if he was raised from the grave, that I can be there too. If I have Jesus, that's where he's going to take me. Um, I'm going to read the last section of the scripture there, 12 through 16, and, and we'll hit a couple of points on there to finish. Uh, not that I have already attain, attained all, obtained all this, excuse me, or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too will God, make, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I want to stop at that last piece. I'll only let us live up to what we have already attained. And go on just a little bit with that. 
that made me think, you know, for me, for a long time when I read this scripture, it meant ignorance is bliss, right? If I don't know, then I'm not held accountable to that, right? But that's not, that's not even in the mindset of what Paul is going with here. His point in this is at least live up to the standard that we already have, to the standard that we already know. What you already know, at least keep that. And God will give you more as you're ready for it. God will prepare you more as we continue on. Um, you know, I've heard this said, and in fact, in my life, I've probably said this once or twice in, in these three things that I'm going to mention. Um, but as long-term Christians, we might get to that place where we say something like, you know, I've read the Bible. Ah, do I really need to keep reading the Bible over and over? Um, maybe we don't say it out loud, but we say it in our minds. Sometimes that might happen to us, and, and we think that um, as long-term Christians. And, uh, and, and there's other things that we might say, like, I've mentored people before. Now it's someone else's job to do that. Or I've done my service work on mission trips, or that's how I serve. Um, and, and, you know, not all of us get to a place where we say any of these things. But I think it happens in our lives, and I just wanted to mention it. Um, and, and all of those experiences are things that help us to live in Christ daily, every day. All those experiences help us to live in Christ daily, to read the Bible, because without it, I can't study the life of my mentor. I can't study the life of my mentor. Jesus is my mentor. I can't study the life without the Bible. That's important to us, and, and, and it's different every time I get into it. So important for us to mentor the people around us because without it, how will they know how to live in faith? There's another one that we need to keep doing, keep going on, to serve wherever I go and every day because that is, the le- excuse me, that is at, at least a part of, of God's purpose for my life, to serve everywhere I go and every day. And it's not just about doing service on mission trips or that's, that's where I do, have done my work in the past. It's about serving him every day. God wants great things for us and God wants to do great things in us. And we look at what Paul is saying and he's encouraging us. He's encouraging us to let go of the things of the past And press on to what I have for you in the future, says God. What God has for you in the future is greater than you can ever dream or imagine. He can do amazing things in you. And he's calling us to that. Would you pray with me?